This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, leadership is hard, period, right? What can make it even more difficult is when you follow someone who had been in your current role for a long time. And if that person was the founder of your organization, that is even more of a challenge. In fact, there is even a term for this. It's called the founder syndrome. And founder syndrome has doomed many nonprofits as well as many for-profit businesses for that matter. So how do you make a healthy and effective transition in the CEO executive director role? How does that new executive leader go about moving forward with innovation and new ideas while at the same time preserving the core values of that organization that has sustained it for years? Well, these and other topics are the focus of my interview with Kyle Waite, who is the current president and CEO of the Atlanta Community Food Bank. Enjoy today's show. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for being on the show today. I wanted to start off by asking you about your leadership style. Uh, Talk about what your primary leadership style is and how is that both a strength on the one hand and possibly a hindrance in how you lead the Atlanta Food Bank? Sure. It's an interesting question, kind of what what my style is as a leader. I would I would say, and and, and thanks again, Rob, for for having me uh, on the show. I, I think you know I really try to focus as a leader on doing only what only I can do. So what I mean by that is, you know, I think it's very important for me to to really help articulate the broad vision of where we need to go, but then to do everything I can to get my team the resources they need to do their jobs uh, leading us forward in pursuit of that vision. You know, so so my job is really about getting the right people on the team, getting them resources, really uh, facilitating good collaboration among our team. And just doing a lot of listening to help ensure that we're working well together, we've got the resources we need, that we've got our best thinking represented in the goals that we set. And, you know, I, I think that generally has worked well. Uh, I, I know part of your question is is around, you know, are there some blind spots or whatever to to my leadership style? I think if uh, anything gets me in trouble, it's really about Sometimes I think out loud and sort of bounce ideas off people in ways that sometimes get interpreted as direction rather than as thoughts. <laughs> and so folks, and so sometimes I can, in, in thinking out loud and bouncing ideas off people, I can send them down a road of uh, uh, beginning to do things that we, we aren't really prepared to do. So I, I think that's one watch out for me is to try to, be very intentional and clear about when I'm thinking out loud versus when I'm, you know, providing direction. 
No, I like that. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I think about your leadership. You're leading a large nonprofit organization. In fact, in your answer, you know, let us know, like, what the scope of the Atlanta Food Bank is, how many staff do you have, you know, how big of an organization it is, just to give a scope and an idea for my listeners. And as such, could you speak to how you've grown the organization, but at the same time, maintain the values of the organization intact as you've added more people, and I'm sure added new people to the team. And just for my listeners' sake, you mentioned uh, before we started the show, you've been there for nine years, came in as the chief operating officer, sounds like, for the first three years, but you also followed a CEO that had been there a long time, 36 years, I think, if that's correct. And so I'd be really curious to hear how you made that transition when you talk about, again, maintaining the values, you coming into this role, following a successful CEO who had been there a long time. I have a feeling there's some of my listeners have experienced that kind of transition. And we're curious to see how has it been for you? Sure. So a great topic of conversation that we could spend all the time on is kind of the questions you just raised. Uh, uh, so just as background, you know, the Atlanta Community Food Bank is one of the largest hunger relief organizations in the country, part of Feeding America, a network of 200 member food banks that serve every county in the United States. Our food bank provides food and other essential grocery items to a network of about 600 community partners across 29 counties in Metro Atlanta and North Georgia. And through that network of partners, this year we'll provide the equivalent of about 100 million meals worth of food to roughly 750,000 people. So that gives you a sense of the scale at which we operate. We have about 170 staff. Our cash budget's a little more than $40 million a year now. And I think that really sums up sort of the scale at which we operate. You know, uh, as context on sort of how I've grown and, and led the organization, we, we uh, did have a founder, Bill Bowling, who's a mentor of mine, uh, who uh, established the organization in 1979 and, and grew it over 36 years. Bill's one of the real founding fathers of food banking across the country. And, you know, I think Bill really shaped the values along with his colleagues and other people involved in the food bank that really shaped the values of the organization around the uh, fundamental insight that our work is about much more than just delivering food. It's about bringing the community together in the fight to end hunger in our community, that our role is about engaging the community, not just being a food distributor. And so in sort of taking over uh, the responsibility for the organization when I did, I think it was really important for me to maintain continuity with our core values as an organization around our mission, around being a organization that's, that collaborate kind of relentlessly across the community, uh, an organization that really works to bring lots of people to the table to help solve problems that we see ourselves fundamentally as an organization that's about community building and community engagement. And at the same time, I also knew that there were opportunities for us to grow our impact uh, by increasing the scale and capacity of our core work and perhaps getting a little bit more focused on that core work and a little less spread out among a variety of different sort of programs that diluted some of our impact. And so I've, I've tried to keep us really 
clear and focused about what our values are, to really celebrate our history, celebrate the heroes in that history, uh, and at the same time, if anything, narrow our sort of operational focus and invest more of our resources in that core work so that we could uh, really be more impactful in our day-to-day activity. No, that's very helpful. And I think a topic I wanted to explore along those lines is, you know, with uh, over 170 staff, when you look to hire new people to your organization, how do you discern who both matches your culture on the one hand and the values of your organization, as well as the job position itself? So maybe talk a bit about your hiring process, how you've been so successful with that so far. Yeah, I mean, and I think we can get better at that, but I, I think we do enjoy relatively low turnover at the food bank. We've, we've got a bunch of people who have devoted big chunks of their career to the food bank. We've got a great sort of wall here in the building that celebrates everybody who has been here at least 10 years, who was here at least 10 years or still or is still here and has been here at least 10 years. And it's a it's a big wall with a lot of names on it, and so uh, I think just that speaks to the kind of culture that we've built that we get people who really care about the organization. I think the uh, the most important things we look at, you know, one we want to know that people really buy into our mission. I think that's really fundamentally important. We want people who demonstrate alignment with our values around being collaborative around being accountable, around really helping their colleagues and our partners flourish, uh, around being bold in pursuing creative solutions to fight hunger. And so we want people to be aligned to those values. Uh, and we want people to have the, the right, we, we want to clearly understand what skills are, are fundamental to the roles for which we're hiring. Uh, and hire people who fit those skills, but who also demonstrate um, uh, the capacity to kind of learn and grow while they're here. We want people to stay here and and move into new roles. And and so uh, hiring people who are not just sort of functionally proficient, but who also are aligned to our values, inspired by our mission, and demonstrate capacity and a history of growth are, are some of the things that we look at. No, that's great. Love that. And what you do is very close to my heart personally, because I too lead an organization that has two food pantries. Now it's not as large as yours, but food insecurity is something that we deal with here in my local community, our state. And it's a very real issue across the country. And the reason I say that is I know for a lot of people that are not in this field and maybe are not as close to the food insecurity issue that is here in America, I think sometimes there's a sentiment of, well, surely there's there's not that many hungry people around. You know, there's plenty of food to go around to everybody, but food insecurity is a very real issue, as is just hunger. And it surprises people, I think. And I think COVID made that even more of a reality. The disparity really became even bigger and more prevalent to everybody. And so along those lines, when you address things there at the Atlanta Food Bank, how do you go about kind of getting to the root causes of food insecurity? How are you not just addressing you know, the food by itself, but you kind of already alluded to the fact that you kind of reach around to the bigger issue that maybe is causing food insecurity in the first place. So how do you go about doing that? And what have you found that has been successful to really get to those core issues uh, that are causing food insecurity to be uh, one of the tangible things that you see in people that are really struggling? 
Yeah, well, I think it's important to define what food insecurity means. And so what it means is that someone who's food insecure lacks consistent access to enough nutritious food to live an active, healthy life, right? And uh, some of the key words there, right, are consistent, that they have it all the time, they can count on it, and that it's enough food, got some measure of healthiness about it, right? And and so that's what, and at, at its core, food insecurity is an economic issue, right? It is, it's about families who are resource constrained. They can't afford all of their, to, all of their basic needs, you know, the, the housing, your, your rent, your mortgage, your gas bill, your water bill, your transportation costs, your childcare costs, your medical costs, that all of that at the end of the day, you know, exceeds your income. And that forces families to have to make really difficult trade-off decisions. Do I buy food or do I get my prescription? Do I buy food or do I pay the power bill? Do I buy food or do I get my car fixed? And that those kinds of trade-offs that people are making, kind of a shell game that they're having to play consistently with their resources, just create enormous amounts of stress. It, it results in people having to make decisions about eating less healthy food, binging and fasting, watering things down, you know, all that kind of stuff that translates into health problems and, and on and on and on. So I think people underestimate the scale of it because they think, you know, if somebody has a job, they should be okay. But in reality, you know, a lot of people in lower income brackets who are out there working, you know, just don't earn enough money to meet all their basic needs in an environment where housing costs, healthcare costs, all that continues to rise. And a, a great way to put some context around that first, just in terms of numbers, as an example, in the state of Georgia, more than 60% of kids in public school are on the free and reduced lunch program. You know, 60%. Yeah, that, that just speaks to the number of kids who, by definition, are living in resource-constrained homes where they have very little margin for error financially, you know, where they can absorb an unexpected cost. Whether that's something small like, hey, I need a new tire to, or something big like, you know, my air conditioning just went out or something like that, right? So that's an enormous number of people um, who live in food insecure households. And similarly, you can put context around it by, you know, giving a profile of somebody. So I remember meeting a client at one of our food pantries who works in a local school system in their cafeteria, you know, feeding other people's kids during the day. And, you know, she just happens not to earn enough for that very important job to feed her kids. And she was there with her two young kids consistently on her own. She needs help. And so uh, we could have all kinds of different opinions about how we've gotten here. But what we have to all agree on is that everybody needs to have consistent access to healthy, nutritious food or we're going to have a whole host of problems as a community in dealing with the consequences of folks not having enough food.
And we've got to work together to ensure that everybody has that access. We'll be right back. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Boy, I couldn't agree with you more. It's a much more complex issue than most people realize, and you said it very well. All right, now back to leadership. Give us an example of two leaders who have really shaped you the most. What about their leadership impacted you, and how did they shape your own leadership today? Yeah, I think uh, I think in both cases, the through line, common denominator is the notion of perspective, and so having a larger perspective. So uh, one, of course, is Bill Bowling, the founder of the Food Bank, who uh, has been a great mentor to me. And I think he really helped me understand the role of the Food Bank and my role as a leader as being about much more than just how much food we're moving around. You know, that it's about how well we are using food and the, and the provision of food as a way to bring people together to get engaged in a big problem that we all need to solve together. And that my role as a leader is not just about how well am I executing things that we need to execute day to day to get food out the door and more about what am I doing to kind of uh, engage others in that effort to grow and support and develop and bring to the table people who can help make a difference. So that sort of larger perspective about our role and my role as a leader is something Bill really helped me learn in my work with him. And then our outgoing board chair is a man by the name of James Dallas. He was a uh, executive in a number of different large companies, uh, had a really successful career, but he grew up on the west side of Atlanta. Uh, he was a Grady baby and you know, grew up in a household where they experienced food insecurity and it just has a really inspiring personal story. But James is someone who's uh, has spent a lot of time serving on nonprofit boards, on corporate boards, and he just has a great way of of seeing the big picture as we confront different problems, as we try to think about our strategy, as we think about our role as an organization in the community. James has helped me really think not just about today, but about five years from now, not just to think about you know, a particular narrowly defined issue, but to think about how a particular issue connects to a lot of other issues and to, to just think with a very sort of 
big picture, big perspective, big horizon about solving problems. Uh, and I think that's helped me make decisions about our strategy and how we allocate resources that are aimed at where we want to be three, four, five years down the road rather than where we want to be in 15 minutes. And that has made us a, a, a much more, uh, I think, effective organization, made me a better leader. Love hearing about how you've been impacted and what you're doing now about that. Uh, one last question kind of on those uh, lines of filling Bill's shoes what has been the biggest challenge for you to follow someone with such a legacy? Now, you've been at it for six years in this role, it sounds like. For, again, my listeners who maybe also followed a founder or someone who'd been there a long time, what has made it so far successful where you're still there six years later? You know, you didn't get booted or there, there wasn't a big, you know, catastrophe on the leadership end. How did you navigate through that? Because my guess is there was a lot of expectations spoken or unspoken for you, period, to you know achieve certain results based on your predecessor. So how have you navigated through that? Um, well, I, I think you know founder transitions are hard in any organization. That's true in the nonprofit world. It's true in corporate world. It's true, it's true for sports teams. You know, it's just always true. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I think in our case, why it has worked is the product of a couple of things. One, I think we did a lot of great work, and this is to Bill's credit, to get, a, get alignment uh, among the board and the management team in particular about kind of the future we wanted to pursue after Bill left, you know, and, to, and, and about what type of leader we needed to successfully pursue that direction. So that sort of pre-alignment helped uh, as we went into the you know search process to find Bill's successor. I think we had a really good transparent process for that selection that you know the board ultimately chose me, uh, but there was good process that that helped inform that choice. I think we I've had tremendous support from our board in connecting me with resources that I needed to help uh, navigate tough situations. I think they've really were, particularly in the first couple of years, really patient with me around expectations. And at the same time, they really stuck to their guns about, you know, the things that we had all aligned to. And, you know, at different points where it felt like, you know, maybe I wanted to do something that was not in alignment with what we had agreed on originally, not in terms of strategy, but in terms of how I approached my relationship with Bill or how I approached different stakeholder decisions. You know, they held me to account on that and, and really uh, sort of kept me connected to what we were trying to do together. But I think the most important thing outside of the support I've gotten from the board, that pre-alignment, the transparent selection process, was just the commitment that Bill and I have had to each other. You know, there's no doubt that at different times we had disagreement about the direction I wanted to take the organization in. We've had different expectations about how we would work together, you know, in my new role and in his new role. But we never wavered on continuing to show up and work on that together, even if we disagreed. 
and I think that commitment to each other to kind of keep showing up, keep working on it has helped our relationship, you know, stay solid as it, you know, as it went through different, you know, choppy periods. And it's allowed us, you know, to really deepen our trust in each other. And if we were solid, that made the probability of failure go way, way down, right? And and so that combined with those other things has made a huge difference. I really appreciate you sharing your insights and what you've done and congratulations that it's worked. You've been there again for six years as CEO. So obviously what you're doing is working. So well done. The thing we mentioned before was COVID and how it impacted, in particular, food pantries. There was probably never a bigger need than the last year and a half. I'm curious for you, maybe you could speak about that a little bit, but also as you look now to to the rest of this year and even into the following year, what are your biggest leadership challenges facing you, either in spite of COVID or because of what you went through last year? What would those be and how are you preparing to navigate through those? Yeah. So again, to sort of set the context, I think it's important to say that I've never been more proud of our team than I have been over the past year. And, you know, we have really, I think, stood tall in responding to the community uh, need. We've grown distribution of food uh, at the food bank by more than 60%. We helped our partners continue to operate. You know, many of them are led by volunteers, often by older volunteers. And, you know, there was a big risk that many of them would stop operating. And yet, you know, the vast majority of our partners remained open throughout the pandemic. Uh, and, and we did a lot of good things to, to make that happen. We got a lot of other partners kind of on the fly engaged in our work. And we did a lot of great things to kind of protect the safety of our staff. So I'm really proud of what we were able to accomplish I think the challenges going forward are a couple things. One, we've worked really hard this past year, and that came on the heels of designing and building and doing the fundraising and moving to a brand new facility, which was a whole nother big, massive project. And so there's a level of fatigue in the organization that we've got to you know, navigate. So that's one challenge. A second challenge is that we have just grown a lot in the past year, and we want to sustain our current level of activity. So we we want to continue distributing the amount of food that we are right now. We want to sustain ourselves financially. And so the the challenge is how do we continue to get the food resources we need, the financial resources we need to operate at a scale that is like 50% larger than we were you know, just 12, 15 months ago and find ways to to grow from here. So I think for us in solving those challenges, it, it comes down to the same basic sort of lens, which is how do we manage our capacity, our people capacity, our financial capacity, our food capacity, so that we can maintain this scale and kind of help people get re-energized. And at the same time, how do we assess and manage risk so that we don't get kind of over our skis in operating at the scale that we are today? So that's uh, kind of the challenge in front of us and, and what I spend a lot of time thinking about. 
I can tell you've processed through a lot. And again, congratulations to get through a very difficult year. I can only imagine the challenges you faced every day just to keep up with the need and for you to grow that much uh, in a year. That's that's a lot to manage. So again, well done. Uh, Keep up the great work. For my listeners, uh, how can people find out more about the Atlanta Food Bank as well as uh, maybe connect with you online? Sure. So best resource always is go to our website, acfb.org. That's Atlanta Community Food Bank, acfb.org. And you can uh, go there. You can support us financially. Really easy to do that, to make a donation. And we're a really efficient nonprofit. So you get a great ROI on uh, your donation. We can provide up to four meals for every dollar that you donate. And uh, that's a great return. You can find one of our local pantry partners and send somebody who needs help to one of those partners uh, at our website, or or you can get involved with one of those partners, maybe as a volunteer or supporter. You can find volunteer opportunities, and you can learn a lot more about our work at that website. Well, that's great. Well, Kyle, again, thanks for taking time to be on the show today. Thanks for all you're doing to feed people and to really deal with even the the deeper causes of food insecurity in the Atlanta area. I know it's a huge need and you run a big organization. So thanks for all you're doing. And again, thanks for taking time to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Having me and uh, Rob, really appreciate the conversation. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is non nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.